Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And people, I didn't have my music playing that time because it was crazy. Me and my guests called and it was our communication stunk. It never happened. Not that our communication stunk, our actual hookup, like what, how we were talking stuck. And she kept calling me back on my Skype. And I kept trying to pick it up and it wasn't picking up. And I'm sitting there, thank God I wasn't recording it because I was cursing my ass off because I get very frustrated. But anyway, so we worked it all out and I'll tell my story next week about that damn mouse. There's something for you to look forward to. Anyway, as I said, my guest, um, I was watching I'm Dying Up Here the other night, and, and I was like, you know what? I've seen her in so much stuff, and then I IMDb'd her, and I'm like, oh, yeah, together. This She's had a great career, and she's not too far into her career, and besides being uh, an actor, she writes, she directs, she, I believe I heard, she sings. My guest is Ginger Gonzaga. How you doing, Ginger? Hi, I'm well, thank you. Good. We got we got through now. That's good. I was a little bit worried. Hey. But so, uh, I know, but I want to hear the mouse story. Is the mouse story now gone? Is it tabled till next week? I can tell the mouse story if you want to hear the mouse story. <laughs> well, I had a mouse at my house last week for the first time ever. So I was just... <laughs> okay. I found it funny. When did you find... I mean, I'll tell you. When did you find out the mouse? Did it scare you? Did you see it? How did you find that there was a mouse in your place? So I was already asleep and I... And I heard, like, a weird, like, something was wrong with my boyfriend in the living room. <laughs> and I came in. Um, I, I went into the hallway to see him, and he had taken our dog out to go to the bathroom. And when he came in, he saw this little tiny mouse, and, it, it, and he fell down. Like, he actually, like, fell on the ground from being scared from this thing. And um, so I didn't see it. It went, it, it, it hid in a towel, and it ended up being, like, this four-hour operation where we were trying to, get it out and save its life but it was so tricky well, it was yeah, a tricky well, little guy well, yeah well for me what happened was you know we just moved back from la and uh my girlfriend yeah. had lived in this condo forever never had a mouse okay and when i visited her yeah. never never saw a mouse so all of a sudden we sit there and i was i had some beers with some friends and i came home and i fell asleep out in the living room and i woke up and i swear i saw a mouse and i'm thinking no i can't make it. i'm dreaming <laughs> so then i fell back asleep and I saw it again. So I said to Joanne, I said, hey, I saw a mouse. And she goes, I don't know, I think you had a few many beers, you know. She didn't believe yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So then another day I thought I saw the mouse and then you start thinking, am I seeing this mouse? <laughs> you start getting psychologically and they scare the crap out of you. Yeah. That's what happened to your boyfriend yeah. probably. It's a startling factor. So yeah, she, they're so fast. Oh yeah, it's crazy. So she doesn't believe yeah. me. She doesn't believe me. And then she goes, she's cooking in the kitchen one time. The other, the, <laughs> oh, and I'm no. in a bedroom and I just hear a, ah, and I was like, see that? I told you there's a mouse. So we didn't see it and we thought we got rid of it. And then the other day, as I said, we you know she made the guacamole. We come home. The thing had gone up on the counter and chewed through the, uh, oh my God, to tortilla bag. So she wouldn't let me eat the tortillas because <gasps> she's afraid I would get poisoned. So I had to go out and yeah, get tortillas. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I, I think it's still in the house. I have two little traps. I won't use the glue. Now, did you you get rid of your mouse or what happened? So this is what's so sad. First of all, our mouse was like the size of a quarter. Oh, that's ours is tiny like, too. Yeah, it was like a little baby. So we had this whole operation where we were cornering it and getting it into this laundry basket and then we were going to put it outside. And we really had everything under control and then like as we moved to like kind of scare it into its little you know the cage we made for it there was like one tiny little sliver where it could have gotten away 
and he got out and and then he ran into our bedroom and once he was in our bedroom i was like nope we have to get trapped like that's disgusting so it was really sad and we got trapped and the traps worked and now it's gone and dead <laughs> now, now what, what kind of traps did you get because i'm pissed at my traps like they're, they're not working i have these ones that said they have food and then they go in and then unfortunately they die but they're cool yeah. looking, but i'm getting no i mean this this cat i mean this mouse just laughs at it like i had him near it goes into the recycling bag which is weird and then i hear it jumping around in there and i don't want to take the recycling out because it will jump out but anyway you got yeah. you got your it's, mouse that's a really brave mouse our little mouse was like hiding and scared and yeah. i felt terrible but we got two kinds of traps one was some black like trap that's called like a spinner trap i don't know what happens to them in there and then another one was white i don't but that's what it was it has food and then it gets them and you don't see like the dead mouse okay see you my, it just goes inside this white thing see mine has a plastic lid so i will see it <laughs> anyway. oh yeah no ours you didn't see it thank goodness so but I, even like oh yeah poor guy well it happens so anyway let's get off yeah. the houses and let's get to your career <laughs> yeah, it's just funny another Basically, person we both have vermin in our apartment yeah it's not it's, <laughs> and you, you sit there and then I'm, you're i'm looking around and i'm like if this thing bites on my shoes or anything like that, but it's so small, I don't I don't worry about it because yeah. it's, a, it's more afraid of us. It just, they startle the crap out of yeah. you and they just dart. So, anyway. So, oh, God, yeah. So, now, now you grew up in California, and now, as a kid, yeah. as a kid, w- w- what kind of kid were you? Were, did you want to get into acting, or did you need attention, or were you shy? I mean, what were you as a, like, a, as a little kid, and what made you end up taking this path to what you... You started your career, because I know you, you graduated college, I believe, in, like, your junior year or in three years, but what were you yeah. like, what were you like as a kid? Um, as a younger kid, I, I mean, I wasn't, like, a weird center of attention type kid, but I did, um, my town was, like, really boring where I grew up. Like, there's nothing. We're an hour and a half away from any major city. So you really have to, like, make your own fun. And and I I would. Like, I would, um, I would like, dress up as characters all the time. And it wasn't even, like, really for anyone. Like, or it kind of was. Like, my friend and I, we would dress up like, like um, my grandma. And we would, you know, have these elaborate costumes and draw wrinkles on our foreheads and stuff. And um, and then just like go and knock on our neighbor's door and be weird and be like dressed, you know, right. like <laughs> like these things. I don't know. So I was always like playing characters, but I don't know. I I didn't really act, um, you know. But in high school, um, as part of my speech and debate program, we had um, an event that you can compete in called humor interpretation where you do a play with several characters by yourself. Okay. Um, and you compete as that. So you would do, like, Midsummer's Night's Dream all by your, by yourself. Or you could take, like, you know, any sort of play, any funny play, and you stand in different um, ways as different characters. And so that was, like, kind of, like, acting. And I, I don't know. I, I loved SNL. I always wanted to be on SNL. And um, even when I was, like you know, high school president or whatever, like my speech was an SNL sketch, you know, <laughs> I just redid an SNL sketch um, as to fit like whatever situation I was in. But um, yeah, I don't know. 
kind of kid I was. I was a nerd, a weird nerd. I would say I was like four years old going on 40. Like I dressed like in business suits. <laughs> I was just weird. <laughs> but now you said you were the president of your class? Yeah, yeah. So you couldn't have been that nerdy. I mean, you know, it's something that, you know, they don't just pick a nerd to be the president of the class. <laughs> yeah. I think I was, I knew everyone and I was funny enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I was really social, but uh, above, above all things, the only thing I really loved was speech and debate. And that was pretty nerdy. <laughs> and now, now, when you decide um, to go to college, what, what was your major? Mm-hmm. Why did you sit there and go, I, I mean... Did you major in, like, speed, or what did you major in? Yeah, well, I majored in um, political science with an international relations emphasis, and I did like that. I did love, I think my goal was kind of, like, to work for the UN, and, um, but I also, like, made that decision a little too prematurely. Like, in high school, every summer I would, um, take college courses at Berkeley. So I had already sort of finished a certain amount of college um, at Berkeley. And when I was taking classes at Berkeley in high school, I was taking political science classes. So I was like, well, I've already burned out this many political science classes. I might as well make this my major. Um, and I did, and I didn't really like it. <laughs> right. And and my minor was Chinese, and then I did my last quarter in um, China. And then when I was in China, I hated it. And I was like, wait, this is not what I want to do with my life. So, well, it's funny because yeah, most people, I mean, up. most people don't really follow their degree. I mean, my degree was in management. Yeah. My one roommate's mm. degree was in marketing and he's a pilot. And another guy's. Was, oh, cool. Yeah. And the other guy was, he was from Hong Kong and he ended up getting, he had his degree in math and he got his master's. Oh, now. wow. He designs restaurants in Toronto. So a lot of people don't follow their degrees. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, what is. Well, yeah. I, I think what it is is I think college just develops us as people. I think it's a matter of it, it brings you out of the shell. I mean, unless, you know, as you know, you know the people who you knew in like fifth grade were going to be a lawyer or a doctor because they were so serious. But I think yeah, for yeah. a lot of us, I think performers too, because, you know, I'm older than you, but when I was around, like no one really took theater in my high school. We have a great theater department, mm-hmm. but no one took it. So, you know, but so, mm. you, so you went, now when you get out of college, you graduate. What do you decide you want to do? How do you start? I know you ended up in the groundlings and stuff, but how do you decide what you want to do with your your life? Yeah, well, that was kind of my excuse, at least. Well, well so when I was when I was in college, I went to the groundlings and I saw Melissa McCarthy perform basically the characters that she does now in movies that everyone knows her for. This was like well before she was super famous, and I was like, oh, I love this. And so I auditioned for their school, and I got in, but I couldn't go because I was still in college. So that's when I decided I would graduate early. And I kind of lied to myself, like, oh, I'm going to take a year off and go to the Groundlings, and then I'll go to law school. Um, Just because it felt weird to admit to myself that that's something that I wanted to do. Um, It just wasn't anything anyone did where I grew up, and it seemed... It's so fun, my job. I almost felt guilty, like, pursuing it, you know? And just, I don't know, especially not knowing anyone that was in the industry. So, yeah, I went to the Groundlings, and then even when I was there, I was like, oh, I'm only doing this because I want to be a writer on Family Guy, you know? This is just helping me (laughs) learn more about comedy. But 
eventually, like, you also need to make money. So I started to do commercials, and um, and then that gave me, like, you know, an opportunity to act. And then I just kind of admitted to myself that that's, this is what I wanted to do, and I was going to, I was going to keep pursuing it. So let me, let, um, let me get this yeah. straight. So you... <laughs> Went down to the groundlings. <laughs> you auditioned. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah. it's not easy to get in. And, and you really didn't have any stage experience I'm taking from you. No. And so you go in yeah. and you audition. Now, people would kill for what, you know, you getting you getting in there. They would love that. But for you, even though you auditioned, you you still weren't sure about it. You were just like, uh, I mean, didn't you sit there and think to yourself, wow, not everybody gets into the groundlings? You know, I was... Yeah, I mean, I was just, I couldn't believe it. I, I did not know what I was doing. I didn't know what the audition was going to be. Like, I was like, I don't know what this is. I, like, took a bus. I was there super early. And then I got in. I still remember Jeremy Rowley, who's a lovely uh, character actor, um, was the guy running my audition. And, you know, you're improvising. I'd never done anything like that before. And I was just, I had so much adrenaline, and I was just, like, I committed so much. Like, in every... They make you do like a bunch of characters, which people usually like already have characters under their belt. I had no idea. I was like, what? We're doing characters? So then I would just like do my grandma, my Filipino grandma. And then I would do a church lady that I knew growing up. And and so it was really weird. And then, yeah, I mean, I guess it was, I guess that's why, I guess I did know that not many people got in. So I did, that's why I graduated because I was like, oh, like. I'm not going to not go to this. Like, this is, I want to be there. Um, but I, it was just difficult to admit, I think, to others that I was going to pursue comedy. Yeah. I think I knew to myself, but to other people. Especially because it was so different from what I was doing in college. I felt like I had wasted time in college you know yeah but I, yeah that a lot of people feel that way but i think it's always yeah, yeah. everything happens for a reason so now you said commercials yeah. were, were you did you were, are you one of these people who like nailed one their first audition or did you wait a little bit because i know so many people who you know they sit there and they they get the commercial audition they nail one right away and you're just like oh my god because did, did that happen to you or how long did it take you to book a commercial yeah i think i got one really early and um to this day the only commercials i've ever booked are ones where they let me improvise and my first it was like one of my first auditions and it was for a, a soy joy nutrition bar which was disgusting and in the in the audition they asked us to do stand-up and I had started doing stand-up um so I just kind of did like some stand-up and then they never like turned the camera off so I think I, I think I was like rambling for like 20 minutes but I was like man they're not telling me to stop so I just kept talking and saying weird, funny stuff. And then I got the job, and um, that got me into SAG. Um, but yeah, I, I actually didn't, I, I didn't book a ton of commercials, but it didn't take me very long. Which, but that, yeah, I booked that, and then I booked a really funny eHarmony commercial that was really goofy, that ran for forever. Yeah. So you're doing, I know. <laughs> so as, you, as you're doing that, were you still in the Growlings? Were you moving up in the Growlings ranks? Yeah. Yeah, so the way that Groundlings works is, um, you know, you, at that time, anyhow, you would do so many levels, and then there was a waiting list for the writer's lab. 
And the waiting list was, at the time, about two years. So, at that time, at the Brownlings, like, you were kind of screwed. Like, you you do well, and then you had, like, two years until you could be into this thing. And that's why you had to start finding other stuff. That's why I was doing stand-up and going to Second City and all this stuff. And then, somehow, someone kind of cheated for me, and I still don't know who it was. But I got bumped up the waiting list, and then my wait was only, like, six months. Um... And then so I started doing writer's lab, and then I had a really terrible writer's lab, um, and I didn't make it past that. And I, if had I been a groundling, I wouldn't have passed me either. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then I just, but by then I was working, so it was all good. So now you're working. Like now, what were some of your first yeah. acting gigs you got? I mean, once you got past the commercials. What did, and what were you? What kind yeah. of what kind of roles were you looking for? Did you want to do like the Melissa McCarthy kind, or did you want to do? I mean, you know, for comedy, there's so many different roles you can play, and there's also because you know you're an attractive woman. There's going to be roles oh, that you can play that other people can't play. Like me, when I'd audition, they would I would get quirky. Of course, I'm not quirky enough to be quirky because yeah. there's really quirky, quirky in LA. Yeah, but, yeah. But for you, what kind of roles did you want to play? And in the beginning, because you were, you know, you're an attractive woman, did you feel like you were getting sent out for auditions of stuff that you knew you could probably book, but you didn't want to really book? Yeah, that's always been kind of my problem, is I always want to play the character weird people. And that's also something that the Groundlings kind of like, like, the Groundlings doing so many characters, you're just not vain, like, you don't really care about, you just want to do what's funny, and what's funny to me is the really weird character types. That's also why I had a really crappy um, writer's lab, is for some reason the... The, my teacher made me, like, they made me do my monologue as this, like, really pretty, like, stupid girl, and I, I hated it. I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to play, like, a weirdo with a wig. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, at that time, I was also trying to make, like, a very Ali G-type show called Medesto Mavericks. I still have a website for it, medestomavericks.com, where I played all these weird characters. But as far as, like, auditions that I would get, it was always that, like, CW kind of world, and, um, yeah, just, you know, the girlfriends, and, and anytime something was really fun and really funny, I knew I wasn't going to be able to play it, <laughs> or they wouldn't let me, you know? See, that, um, that's just kind of the way it's set up. Yeah, I mean, that's what sucks, it's like, there's so many people, it's like, you know, look at Kristen Wiig, you know, she's so funny, but, you know... They, yeah. they let her play the character. She's a very pretty woman, but they let her play the goofy characters. And a lot of times they don't do that. And it, it, it's, you know, it must be frustrating where it's good where you're getting work and you work a lot, mm -hmm. but it must be frustrating. And now it's different because, you know, you, you're further in your career. But in the beginning, it must be frustrating when you don't want to fit into that Hollywood mold that they're putting yeah. you in. I mean, it must, it must, I mean, how did you sit there? How would you deal with that? Were you just writing more stuff for yourself? Yeah, it was always making more things. Like, you really have to balance it out. And I'm I'm thankful for certain roles. You know, like, I did a really, like, femme fatale on The Good Guys with Bradley Whitford. And, you know, that was, like, one of my first guest stars. And I get it. And it's still fun to play. But if you can't get the comedy that you want to do out of your system, then, well, for me, it makes me really sad. So I was always making – I was doing a lot of – 
hidden camera work, you know, for a show that I was trying to make and just a lot of uh, making my own character stuff so that I could do that. And the thing with Kristen Wiig is Kristen Wiig is so beautiful, and but she's, she was in a different situation because she was on SNL. So she gets to establish herself as someone who's going to play a lot of characters. That's the point of that show. So going forward, leaving SNL, everyone's going to let her play character roles because she's shown a whole, you know, bunch of them, a whole catalog of them over the past several years every Saturday. But were she to just be auditioning normally without SNL, I think she would have been, you know, thrown into more, you know, almost like an Alison Brie category or whatever. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 the only way you can deal with it is to try to create more of your own stuff because it does get frustrating. And even roles that I've had, you know, I think when, when casting directors or um, people find you to be attractive, they, they make you the straight man. And I love being a straight man, and I can be the straight man, but the, the straight man oftentimes is just lobbing up jokes, and there's nothing more soul-crushing than just lobbing up jokes, you know? Especially when you want to... Yeah, especially yeah. for you, because you write also, so you, you know the yeah. whole concept of, you know, some people who don't write comedy have no problem stepping into that role, but someone who writes mm-hmm. and you're creating characters, it must be frustrating because you're like, wait a second. And then you know that you, as a writer, you're like, okay, I know how to deliver that. Even if it's not your material, I think writers yeah. get, get that sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just got to keep making yourself. I mean, even now, I, I, I was very thankful to be on a show on TBS, but I left for similar reasons. I was like, because now I'm just pitching a show that I'm making on my own. Just it, it, If you get stuck into that type of category, the only way out of it is to write your way out of it. It's like Hamilton from <laughs> from uh, the musical. <laughs> he says he, he wrote his way out. I feel like that's, that's the way. <laughs> so you're working, so the good guys, you said that was one of your first more bigger guest starring roles? Yeah, yeah. Now, what was that like your first day on set? Because it is a bigger role and you're working with a great cast. I mean, where are you coming? Where's your head coming from? Because, you know, you you, you, weren't, you do you do your growling stuff and you do performance. But when you're on a set, yeah. it's much different because it's contained. You know, you don't get the instant gratification and you're not the star. You're visiting. What, yeah. what was your feeling when you went on set? Were you excited? Were you a little you know nervous or what went through your mind? Well, I was really excited, and I was also lucky because I, as I was reading the script, like, I got the job. First of all, that, that role was written for, like, a 45-year-old woman, and my manager at the time was very clever, and she was like, I don't think this needs to be a 45-year-old person. You're 25. Who cares? Like, you just need to be manipulative and, you know, send to tally. And so I, I got it, but as I was reading the script after I booked it, I saw the names on the um, on the, you know, other actors that were in it. And a, a dear friend of mine, it was also one of his first guest stars. So I was kind of, it was nice. It was this, like, moment with a, a friend of mine, and we both got to fly to, to Dallas and, and film it. But, um, you know, Bradley is very kind and inviting, and so is Colin Hanks. So it was a very welcoming set. But, yeah, it's a weird thing when you first do your couple of jobs because, you have to remind yourself, like, oh, people aren't allowed to laugh on set. Right. So you're not going to hear that thing that lets you know you did a good job. 
Like, everyone's quiet, and it's weird. And then, you know, when they call cut, that they laugh. But that's, like, a very jarring thing to get used to when you've done sketch or, you know, live performance. Because then you're like, am I screwing up? And then it's like, oh, no, that's the way this works. Like, we can't have the crew laughing while we're filming. Um, yeah, I was excited, and I think I was a little um, a little camera shy in some of my scenes. I don't know. Now, when you got when you got the first, <laughs> no, wait, that's normal. When you got the first one under your belt, yeah. when you got that under your belt, then how did you start getting more auditions? Did you feel more confident because you booked something? And you know, I know you ended up on a show called In Gale We Trust. Now, now that was yeah. a, that was a recurring character, right? Yeah. So I did. We did. That was a great web series for NBC. It was like very much like Waiting for Guffman or that whole world. And the cool thing about that is there were so many groundlings on that show that. It, for me, it was such a lovely moment to be working with, like, all of my teachers. Even what, my, the guy who ran my, my audition years ago, he was one of the main characters. So that was, um, that was a blast, and it was a lot more comfortable because it was so improv-heavy. So it was just, a, you know, this giant ensemble with Fred Willard, and it was kind of a rotating cast every year, except for some of us who were consistent. And it was just a very friendly, fun um it was like it was like doing sketch, but it was being filmed. So it was just really easy and happy and fun. And I, the greatest thing about comedy and improvisers is like, I mean, you're really just laughing all day. That's your your job is to make people laugh, and then the best thing is to make your co-stars laugh. So that's when 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 you improvise, you get to change it every scene. So it's just a constant challenge and game with yourself with you and your friends to like see who can make everyone laugh more so it's just a very fun enjoyable experience so that for some reason seems and i got to be a little more character in that i got to be dorky at least well i so think I, I really loved it i think as a, <laughs> as a, someone who's you know doing characters and doing improv working with fred willard who's just a, a genius must just be yeah. amazing you're like oh my god it's fred willard yeah yeah it was awesome. I don't know. In, in in some of those things when there's, you know, when there's really big stars, you feel, I don't know, there's something very um, um, equal about the comedy world. I think if I was in a show with the Fred Willard of drama, I would feel very different. But in comedy, in, in shows like that where you're improvising... Stand-up is different. Stand-up can be very selfish and, and very competitive, and you just got to defend yourself on stage. But in improv and in comedy like that, the only way that everyone succeeds is if you're supporting each other. And so that just inherent element of that culture makes it very welcoming and very kind and supportive and team-like. So you don't ever really feel intimidated. You just feel like everyone's on your team. So yeah, it's, that's what's great. So you're, yeah. you're getting your chops up. Now, when do you start yeah. getting into, you start booking? I saw you did some Millers, you did some other stuff. When did you start to feel like it was your stride? When did you start to get opportunities to go in for recurring instead of, you know, doing the one-off? When did that happen in your career? How how long after you did were getting work did that pop up? Pop up? Um, that was very much dependent on um, my representation as well. I mean, I kind of, so I was doing Gilly Trust. That was kind of every summer we did that. But eventually, maybe like three or four years into working, I I got, I you know, I had never, 
at, at the time of getting like in Gilby Trust and these little recurrings, I'd never really had the chance to audition for pilots. So they were there, they were existing, people were booking them, but I was never auditioning for them. And so finally one year I had a, uh, a new manager who actually got me those auditions. And so my first year of really auditioning for pilots, the way that actors audition for pilots, when you, you audition for like 20, you know, a season or something, that first season where I really had that opportunity, I tested um, for about four. And that's a lot. So once I started testing and getting really, really close, then it was just, I just kind of knew that my next test would kind of be my job. So then the next season, I tested again for about four. And then one of them was mixology, and then I got mixology. Now, I mean, it must be hard on your psyche just because, I mean, and I think this happens a lot of times. I talk to actors who sit there and they've been, I was been in this pilot, I was in this pilot, it didn't get picked up. But the thing is, what we forget yeah. is everybody wants to be in a pilot. And just to get a pilot's amazing. And for you to testing all those times where it must get frustrating because you didn't book it, it must also be sitting there and be a very affirmative sign because you're like, wow, I'm testing for four. And you were sort of not that known. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's how it was. I was always testing against, especially in that first year, against really people who had worked a lot. And it was also tricky because I was funny enough to be testing for these things. For, for a lot of those roles, I was too young. So I remember my very first test was something to play uh, Rob Hubel's girlfriend. And I they had me test like more than once even, and I was the choice. But it's like I had no, I didn't really have any credit, so it was really hard for people to justify giving me the job, even if the director wanted me and really really fought for me. And I was also like, you know, too young. Like I said, my manager was really cool about being clever and being like, "Who cares how old this role is? Let's see if they'll see you." And then eventually people would see me. But at the end of the day, I was probably not old enough for the role, you know. So, but it is very validating and. And some actors don't realize, okay, once you're testing, like, don't worry about it. You're going to get something. You're in the system, you know, people know you, you have, that's, that's as good as having another credit. Like, oh, I tested for this. But, um, but at the same time, I was also, like, I booked um, a guest star for Legit, uh, an FX show that Jim Jeffries was the lead of. And at that time, I, I didn't have a series regular credit, and I was up against a lot, I mean, girls who had worked, girls who I, I had seen on TV when I was, like, 12. Right. Like, uh, you know, like, we were, like, the same age, but they were already on TV, and I was like, oh, I watched, you know, whatever show you were on, and then I got that. So, sometimes you do get it, you know? It I don't know. It must have been great working with Jeffries, because he's such, he's such a great comic, and he's just so straightforward in the show i've watched a few of episodes it's it's, it's dark it must yeah. just be fun as a as an actor to be on a show where it's like you know jim jeffrey seems like the guy that, that he just doesn't really give a crap i mean if, if the network's gonna bitch at him he doesn't care because he knows he can go back to doing stand-up so it must be a cool yeah. a cool feeling to be on a set like that yeah that's a very powerful thing that that um if you can make a career in stand-up you have a lot more control because you do have that fu attitude where it's like uh i make five billion dollars a year doing stand-up like i don't need this um but jim is the, is the best and that cast was amazing and we mourned the death of that show because it was you know you do all these jobs and then for every like five jobs you do you have like you, sometimes you get that magical cast where everyone's just amazing and has so much fun. 
And Jim is, you know, a lovely, lovely friend. And he's just the best. Yeah. I mean, he's very real. We can talk about everything. I think Jim, you know, I really enjoy co-stars and actors who are super honest and really, really vulnerable right up front. And so I've had that on togetherness. Every actor was like that. You know, we know way too much about each other's lives right away. And the same thing is like that with Jim. Like, I can share anything with Jim, and he can share anything with me, and nobody judges each other. And and that makes everyone um, trust each other a bunch more, and then it just makes for really good work, I think. Now, you said you got mixology. What was the process for that? And and were you sitting there as you get closer and closer? Because, you know, the bottom line is even if you get a series for a season, your life is going to change financially. Your career is going to change. Most people don't do a series and then just disappear. What was the How long of a process was it? And then what were you just freaking out when they called? Did you go to series? Did you go to pilot first, then they got picked up? Or what was your process on that show? Yeah, so the that show was I was I was the first person, like human, to read for that show. Like the casting director was like, Oh, this is ginger and I was the first person to read for it, but I didn't get it right away. So I was testing for other shows and when you test for other shows, you know, they get priority based on who's who got you first and, and whatever. So I was testing for a different show, a Fox show at the same time that I was testing for mixology, but the Fox show had priority. And the Fox show wasn't releasing me because they hadn't made their decision on who to cast. So because of that, I actually lost the role on mixology because I was owned by Fox at the time. So they cast someone else in the role that I really wanted. I really wanted mixology. And then I ended up not even getting the Fox show. And then eventually, um, so then I didn't have either job, but then eventually they... They changed who they, they didn't keep the actress that they had hired in that role. So I got another chance. And then, and then I got that job finally. Um, but for mythology, yeah, we did a pilot. It was everyone, everyone, it was pretty much their first pilot. And that's very common for ensembles. They pick a lot of, you know, young people that haven't had a, a show before. And, I know, it's really fun, you know, it's exciting. It's nice that we were all kind of in it together. We all didn't really know what was happening to us at the same time. And, yeah, it was just kind of like a wait-and-see type situation. And, you know, we were really lucky. Larry Larry Charles directed our pilot. That was a big deal. Um, but once I got the job, it was really fast. I think I got the job on a Friday, and I started working on a Monday. And... Then I did the pilot, then we waited, and then we got it. And, yeah, then once you film it, you don't know what's going to happen. And we were mid-season, so it, it, it extended our schedule a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> it's, a weird, it's a weird thing to go through when it's your first show. So, so you, you get the series, and you're in it. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, that's a great accomplishment. So now, yeah, what, yeah. how did you – did you feel that the – the cast got along good. I mean, how did you feel like this first few days? Because one, because you are all younger, and I'm, you said a newer. Yeah. I mean, not younger, newer in the fact that it's your yeah, an ensemble. And I'm sure you know, in every ensemble, you know, you were lucky enough to be in an ensemble, you know, with legit, which would you know, Back and Dahl was on it, and all those people. So there are people who you know they don't have to prove themselves. Did you ever? Yeah, did yeah. you ever feel like because 
you were all newer that some people were just really and you know because you've done improv and and mm -hmm. character you always know and even when i did stand up you always know that person that just tries too hard were you, did you ever run into that on that show or was it just did everyone really get in sync did you really get along well everyone got along it was an interesting show because um you don't in large ensembles like that, like, you usually don't end up working with everyone because everyone sort of gets their pods of people. Like, even on I'm Dying Up Here, uh, the Showtime show that I'm on, I, I'm in a pod. I only work with John Daly, Michael Ancarano, and Clark Duke. And maybe I'm in the, the club sometimes, but really those are the characters that I live with, so when I'm acting, I'm with those guys. And I see Melissa Leo maybe once a month. Or, you know, Ari Grainer once a month. Like, I don't really see them. And mythology was kind of the same way. I think, I think everyone, that, that show in particular also didn't cast all comedy people, which is rare. There, there were about, I mean, Andrew and I had done a lot of comedy. Kate Simpson's had done a lot of comedy. Craig had done, I don't know, everyone, everyone had dabbled with it, but, like, uh, we had another actor who only had ever done drama. So it wasn't, so, you know, there, there wasn't, like, a huge pissing contest like there can be with, with newer people in comedy, you know, trying to show each other up, just because some people had never done it. So, yeah. So, did you feel, did you, when the show got canceled, did you know that was coming? Or, I mean, how do you gauge yourself for that? I mean, you're sitting in the series. I mean, what, did you ever going to be back? Or what was the process that you went through to find out and eventually to find out that it, it wasn't going to be back? Yeah, I personally uh, did not think that it was going to go. And that's based on the fact that we were mid-season that it was a weird concept for a show or a high concept. And I didn't really know how they were going to do another season of that show. I mean, they could have done another season of the show that takes place in a bar on one night. Like, they could have, they could have used a completely different cast if they wanted to, you know, like, like some shows are doing. So I did not think that it was going to go. But then... Then there was this one day, and I think most people, like, I don't know, we were kind of on the bubble. Most people didn't really know. But then, then one day there was, like, a deadline article in the trade that made us all think that it was going to happen. So literally, like, three days before we found out it wasn't picked up, everyone thought that it was going to be. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then you get the news, and it's kind of like, I don't know, it can be really crushing, I think, for people, but for me, I was... I kind of knew that I had, um, you know, that next step that I needed. Like, you need to have a show under your belt, whether it goes one season or multiple seasons, in order to be able to get a better job, another job. So I was very aware that I would still be able to get other work. And, and, and at the same time, after playing a certain character for a year, I was very aware of what I wanted to play next um, and what type of, you know... Yeah, but, now, yeah, you just kind of find out one day. <laughs> they just call you. <laughs> now, this whole time when you're doing all this, were you still writing? Were you still trying to create? Or were you really, because you were working a lot, did you really concentrate on the acting and the auditioning? Yeah, I was still creating. Um, the thing that's tricky about being on a show, especially when it's your first show, is that you're not allowed to 
you know, you're contractually owned by that show, so you can be writing a television show, but you're not going to be on it because you're not allowed to, and you can't, you know, I can sell something that maybe someone else starred in, but usually when I write, I write for myself. Um, but I was still, yeah, I was still working on, like, an Ali G type show, and, um, and, 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 like, dabbling with, you know, a feature, which eventually I, um, I ended up doing something else, like making, um, trying to make that into a series also. But yeah, I'm always kind of writing. I think you have to, because you're playing one thing every day, which is really enjoyable, but it gets boring, unless you're doing other stuff. So after, yeah. after you do, um, Mixology, you start going mm -hmm. out for roles, or are, are you getting more chances to be a regular, and how did you end up getting on Togetherness? And it was such a good show. And I know you came in later. Mm. It was, I mean, it was one of those things. I mean, it's something like me and me and Joanne watch, you know, HBO and Showtime, all the shows. Yeah. And sometimes you sit there and sometimes you get it when a show gets canceled. You go, yeah. But then yeah. sometimes you're sitting there. And I remember I was just heard it on something or I saw it online. And you're like, I don't get it. Because it's, it, I'm sure it wasn't a high budget show. It's not like when they canceled like Rome. Oh my God, no. On Rome, on Cinemax, where it's like, a, you know, how much ever an episode. But how did uh, the Catherness come about for you? And were you a fan of Duplass's work? Oh, man. Yeah. So I, 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 like, count my lucky stars to be able to have auditioned for that show. And it's still my favorite working experience ever. Um, like, another thing that can be really tricky is, you know, I had just done an ABC show. So Super Super Network, owned by Disney, you know. And sometimes... Uh, cable, now I work a ton in cable, but, but sometimes cable shows, like, they don't even want that. They don't even want, you know, an actor from one of those shows. And that was my most recent thing. So technically I'm Ginger from Mixology or whatever. Um, so I, I didn't get many cable audition opportunities. So when I got that, I was, I was like over the moon and I was, I was a fan of togetherness. I hadn't seen a lot of the other Duplass stuff, but I was like, I, I loved togetherness, and it reminded me a lot of legit, at least with the the naturalness of it, and you know, a lot of the dark comedy. And um, but when I read it, I I mean, I've never been more like, oh no no, like I'm gonna play this part. Like no one, no one is getting this job except for me. I'm just gonna walk in, and this is mine. And I even kept annoying my reps, like they would send me other auditions for things that we're gonna be filming during togetherness, and I'd be like, guys, I can't do that because. I'm going to be on together. And they were like, you're crazy. You haven't even gotten the job yet. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be on together. Um, and yeah, so I don't know. Working with them was just amazing. The, the cool thing about Cable and no, no, I will say the, Cable and the Duplasses. So the cool thing about the Duplasses is um, that they, when they hire people, they have so much faith in them. You know, they really vet people. I auditioned several times. I did the table read for HBO before I was even hired. But once they hire you, you're their people, and they trust you, and they're going to let you do whatever you want. And that's my experience in it. And it is the most most freeing way to work as an actor. And it, I just think it, it leads to really good performances because they have so much faith in you, and they give you so much freedom um, in addition to having the, such amazing scripts that they've written that um, 
I don't, and nothing compares to it. I love working with those guys. And and the crew, I mean, the cast was so good. I mean, you know, Amanda Peet is so solid. I don't think she ever really gets the recognition. Oh like we just watched Brockmire, and she's so good in that. And she, oh yeah, she delivers. And then you you know had a lot of you had scenes with her, and then you know Steve, yeah. and he was you know, I mean, that must be something as an actor it must be great when you sit there going, okay, these people are heavy hitters. You know, everyone on that show. I mean, whether it be the League or Two and a Half Men, they had credits. Mm-hmm. I mean, as an actor, sometimes you feel like you're swimming up sea, even though you have the talent that you're sitting there going, are these people going to, you know, give me the same respect I give them because they've done so much and I've still done a lot, but not to that level. How do you, yeah. you know, how do you come across and do that? Because you do have a great career and you've been in the grounds, you've done all that stuff, but did you ever sit there and like maybe second guess yourself every once in a while when you're working with people who are just powerhouses? Yeah, I think um, the thing about that show is everyone is so, um, it is intimidating because everyone is is an amazing actor and they're the type of actor that I love. So, you know, there's amazing actors on, you know, other tones of shows and and everything, but, but, but these are the type of actors that I love and, um, and admire. But working with them as people, those similar types of actors are also instantly your friends. Like, I was instantly very close with Steve and instantly very close with Melanie. And there were a couple of moments where I was like, what the heck am I doing here? But then I would literally tell myself, like, no, 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 just, just, like, fake it till you make it almost. Like, be like, no, 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 keep telling yourself you belong here. And it's fine. But as far as, like, belonging, I've I've never felt more um, close with people and more like I found, like, my type of friends or, or artists. So as an artist, I was like, oh, here's my people. Like, these people are like me. Like, I, we think the same and we like to work the same. So there was a, a similarity in personality type, I guess, that made everything... Um, feel comfortable. And the other thing is, is if you have any sort of self-doubt, which is natural, but if you have self-doubt in those situations, you're only going to hurt everyone else. Um, if insecurity to me, I think just reads on camera and it reads in performances. So to doubt yourself is actually to be a really bad teammate and to be a really bad co-star because they, in order, when I do my best work, it's when I'm supporting the other actor the most. And the best way that you can support the other actor is to be really confident in your choices and what you're doing so that they feel that they can be confident. And, you know, so, you know, I think that maybe first day or the table read was, was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? But even at the table read, when I knew I needed to do a really good job before I had had this part, I was like, oh, no, I need to crush this. And I need to match them at their level of talent. Otherwise, it's going to hurt them, you know? So I don't know. There's a, oh, for me, it's like there's like a mental way around it. And I just felt, um, I felt very at home there. But also, it's, it's those types of people. Like, you know, they're, they're just lovely, lovely people. Now, did so I think the closer you become as friends, the easier it is. 
did, did anyone see that cancellation coming? Because I certainly didn't. I was sitting there. I mean, as I said, it's also, you know, some shows you sit there and go, okay, it's off. But, I mean, that happened also on yeah. HBO when they canceled Bored to Death, which had Ted Dance and Jason Schwartzman. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Hey, did anyone see that getting canceled coming? I mean, did you guys see that or was it just a blindside? I would have been blindsided, except, I don't know, you know, they were, I think they were starting, starting to write the next season. I, I hang out with Melanie Linsky a lot, and I had seen, I had been to Melanie's house maybe like a couple nights before, and she was like, oh, we're going to get canceled in her cute little accent. I was like, what? No, we're not. <laughs> and she's like, I think so, there's a regime change at HBO, and I don't think it's going to be... And I was like, what are you talking about? And then it was canceled like two days later. <laughs> but everyone, they, I think people, the fans of the show, everyone was surprised. I don't know, especially because HBO loves the Duplasses and continues to work with them. So I don't know why they, I don't know why they crushed that show, especially because it was very cheap to make. They're very talented at making shows on a budget. And like, what do we use other than a home and a couple exterior shots? You know, it's a very cheap show to make. Now, see, now you, but, got, you got yeah. to work with the Duplasses. You're working with great people. Now, you also were on Angel from Hell, so you got to work with Jane Lynch, who's also another power. Yeah. I mean, she's a powerhouse. I mean, it's just so funny. I just saw a picture of her. I guess she's playing Janet Reno on the serious side of something coming up. But what was it like? Is what, it? Yeah, it was some Discovery Channel. It's about some uh, some case, and she's playing Janet Reno because I just saw it on my phone, and I was like, and she looks like like the wig and everything. She's perfect for it. But what was it like working with her? Because she's so, like, she just seems so nice and she's so damn talented. She's the nicest human on the planet. She's so funny. Um, yeah, it was great working with her. She, um, I don't know, whenever I'm at a job, as long as, it's, as long as I can make someone laugh by the first day, then I'll feel comfortable. I feel like, ah, okay, I got them. You know what I mean? So if you make Jane laugh, it's very rewarding and and fun, you know. But she's, I don't know, she's, she's great. We got to do a really fun scene where we had to eat a bunch of cakes together. So one day we didn't eat dinner or breakfast, and then the next day at work we were doing a scene where we were tasting wedding cakes, and we both ate about an entire cake each. <laughs> it was disgusting. Um but I don't know, man. She's a pro, and she's in everything that I love. You know, all that, all the Christopher Guest movies and and stuff like that. And Maggie Lawson is a real gem from that show, also. Oh, she's she's awesome. She was great in Psych. She's good at everything yeah. she does. And now, yeah. But you have to be happy because you're constantly working. And I know you. Uh, well, yeah. well, I'm dying up here. Is a show. I mean, I think it's funny because I have a background. I did stand up on the road for many years, and and I got out of yeah. business. But I laugh because I see you know some comics are like, well, it's not realistic, and I always say, well, guys, first of all, it is. We weren't around in the seventies, and secondly, it's a comedian is not the target market for the show. It's people who don't know yeah. about comedy. What is it like for you? I mean, I know you only work with certain people, but was that an easy? job to get or I mean how did you did you have to audition a lot or were you getting a momentum because you were in the cable now you had done you know togetherness were people getting to know your face was that one of those ones that you nailed pretty easily yeah that was um yeah I mean togetherness helps a lot because you know I don't have any issues um doing cable you know I can do a lot more cable now but yeah I mean that was it was easy, I think. 
it was just kind of, you know, I didn't do very much in the pilot. And I don't do very much on that show. It's a really large ensemble. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I just auditioned and then they let me do it. <laughs> Now, as you're acting away and you're acting, I know you also directed a short film with Jason Ritter. And you, and, yeah. and you, now, how did that come about? Did you always want to direct? And did you remember him? I mean, how, how did you get that whole, how did that happen? Yeah, so the way that my short film came about was the Duplasses have a new show called Room 104, where um, it's a different writer-director each episode. And the only stipulation, really, is that it takes place in a hotel room. So they asked me to write one for myself, and I wrote one, but it ended up being, like, really dark. So my short is actually really dark drama with a little bit of levity, um, but it was too dark for the tone of their show. So I had the opportunity to either write another one or make the one that I had funnier, um, but I kind of had, like, this four-day window of decision-making where I could have changed it. Um, but I really, really loved what I wrote, like as this thing, not necessarily for their show, Room 104, but as a 30-minute piece, I was very married to my script and what I made. So instead of changing it, I decided that I would just make it myself for um, film festivals, which is so tricky because they don't like 30-minute films, and I'm lucky to have even been in some film festivals. But yeah, so I just, I wanted to have control over how it, uh, the, how it turned out. So I decided that I would make it myself and I paid for it myself. And then Jason, as I was writing it, I always thought of Jason because ja Jason is Melanie Linsky's fiance. And whenever I hang out with Melanie, Jason, usually we're playing games or whatever. And Jason um, is just like super charming. And I got to know him through that. And he's very sweet. And he's just like the sweetest, nicest person in this role for my short. And that was Jason. And we had never worked together. We had only hung out at Melanie's house. But I asked him, and I was so lucky that he said yes. And he's amazing in it. Um, and I'm so glad that I made it. It was, a, it was expensive, and it was a lot of work. But, I mean, I could, I could not sleep for, like, a month if, I, if that's what I was doing, was directing and being in something that I made. It's so much fun. And you learn so much. And it and yeah, I just I would love to direct more. So as I'm as I'm pitching shows now, I'm my hope is that if I were to sell my shows that I could at least direct an episode or, you know, two, as a lot of creators do. Yeah. Now what kind of shows are you pitching now and are you getting in the room because because you're known, you're more known now. Or I mean, are you pitching sitcoms? Or what would be your what's your ideal pitch of the shows you pitch that that you would want to make? Yeah, um, I'm. I have one that's tonally more along the lines of like a togetherness or a legit, and I have another one that's more along the tone of like um, Handmaid's Tale, and so that's one's like super drama, but actually the thing that's getting me into the room more than, it's funny, like, if you're an actor, like, I can have as many credits as I want as an actor, but like, to, for some reason, like, now if you have, once you have that label, like, in my experience, people don't necessarily see you as a creator, and even like last year I sold a show like a smaller show to like a Warner Brothers 
um, to Warner Brothers, and it, like, it doesn't even matter that I did that. Like, they still don't really see you as a creator. Even if you've done sketch, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's being a woman. I don't know if it's being... A, I, don't, I really don't know. But so the, the, the thing that's helping me get into the rooms that I'm getting to pitch in the most, other than some of them I've already pitched to in the past, and they know me, and that's fine. But the newer ones, it's because I send them... Um, my team sends out the film that I made, which, um, which shows something that I wrote, and... I'm in it, so they see, it's kind of like another reel for me, almost. They see me acting again. But instead of sending a script, they send, you know, the, a completed cost version of something that I've made. And that seems to help a lot, especially with the, the fancier companies that I really like. They respond very well to, um, to that. Now, receiving like a finished product. Have, are all these roles written for you, like for that drama? Is that a role written for you, or are you just going to play a creator in that? Or if they said to you, you can't do both, you can do one or the other for your projects, which would you do? Would you be take the creator seat, or would you take the acting seat? Yeah, I would always take the acting seat just because I want, I don't ever want to not act. But the, the, the Togetherness Tone show that I have is written for myself, it's written for me. And then the more handmade tale drama is 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 just for anyone to be in. But that one is so high concept that I don't. I'm curious to see. I think I have to sell the one for myself first because it makes the most sense. And I'm not like I'm not someone who's made like Fargo in the past. You know, if I had like a Fargo creator resume, I could probably sell my right. more handmade Kelly type show. But I think it's so left field coming from me that people are it it people like people have to see things in like steps. You know, what I mean? it's weird unless you have a unless you have someone really spinning it for you. But yeah, or maybe I'll attach someone cool to it and then I can I can sell it. But the other the togetherness tone show that's that's that i'm writing for myself well, that's awesome well you know I, i'm yeah. glad i'm glad we got to, i'm glad you came on and uh it's Thank funny you. we were it's so funny because like we go back and forth with tv and like all our shows are ending like you mentioned fargo uh better call Saul. they're all they're all going uh, up here and we were like two behind on i'm dying up here because we've been busy but i saw you and i was like got it and i said i looked you up and i'm like oh god yeah that's where i know it from and i'm glad you responded oh, thank you. and um and so your website is Ginger Gonzaga. People, it's Ginger. You know, yeah. but it's G O N Z A G A. And your tweet is Ginger the Jester. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And you, you tweet, do you tweet a lot? I used to tweet a ton, and I used to only tweet jokes. But then when Trump became president, and that whole process of him becoming president, I was like, oh no, I need to tweet some woke information. I want to thank you for coming on. People follow her on Twitter, Ginger uh, Ginger the Jester. Uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. It's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have got over 100, 100, like 620 episodes up there. You can email me, Cooper, at coopertalk.net. Instagram is coopertalk1. I do a lot of show promotion, and I also do a lot of food pictures because, as you know, it was five years ago I had that bad health problem. Uh, well, <gasps> I, I, I'm, I'm fine now. But I wrote I wrote the cookbook. Uh, it's a low-sodium cookbook, uh, Stop the Salt, Cooking for One Without Killing Yourself. You can get it at Amazon.com or you can go to StopTheSalt.com. Now, if you get it from Amazon.com, I don't make as much money. And if you get it from StopTheSalt.com, I'll sign it for you. So get the cookbook. Don't forget, 
follow follow Ginger. Go to her website. She's got some great stuff that says what's going on in her career. And that's about it. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.